If you're a small business owner looking to grow or expand your business, check out OnDeck Business Loans. OnDeck offers business loans online from $5,000 to $500,000, and their simple application process only takes 10 minutes. Unlike banks, they'll give you a decision quickly, and funding is as fast as one day. Get a free consultation with an OnDeck loan advisor. Visit OnDeck.com podcast. This is the Customer Equity Accelerator. If you are a marketing executive who wants to deliver bottom line impact by identifying and connecting with revenue generating customers, then this is the show for you. I'm your host, Allison Hartsoe, CEO of Ambition Data. Each week, I bring you the leaders behind the customer-centric revolution who share their expert advice. Are you ready to accelerate? Then let's go. Welcome, everybody. Today's show is about HubSpot's voice of customer journey. And to help me discuss this topic is Amanda White. Amanda is the leader of the Global Voice of Customer program at HubSpot. And if you're not familiar with HubSpot, they are a platform for inbound customer-centric marketing, sales, and service, probably a whole bunch more. Amanda, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Allison. I'm very happy to be here. Can you start by giving us just the quick positioning on HubSpot and how you got to be involved with the company? Absolutely. So HubSpot is a growth platform, and we really believe in the philosophy of attracting, engaging, and delighting customers. So our software platform is tools built around all of those points. So everything from website hosting, personalized messaging, social sales pipeline, a service hub where you can engage with your customers and tickets, all built on top of a free CRM. So that's HubSpot as a company. How I got started with them, was I'm originally from Chicago, a Chicago girl, and I worked for a marketing agency there and moved to Europe and was actually working as a marketing manager for a mobile payments company. And I was a HubSpot customer initially. And then when HubSpot opened their Dublin office, which is their first international office, I started with them and was initially an inbound marketing consultant helping customers and then eventually partners with their actual implementation of HubSpot. Spent a lot of time in the customer success division and various management roles. And when HubSpot created our first ever voice of customer team, I was really passionate about customer success, customer centricity, and really driving that voice of the customer within HubSpot. So it was the perfect role and worked out well. So we're just wrapping up our first year of actually having a voice of customer program at HubSpot. Oh, that's fantastic. I didn't realize it was just one year. And I have to give you kudos. We are HubSpot users as well. But one of our employees just got this, hey, you're a HubSpot Champion User Award, which I thought was really clever in that it suddenly gave us a reason to celebrate her and what she had been doing on that platform, on that tool. Most power users are not recognized in that way. Oh, that's so great to hear. We really believe in the advocacy part of our flywheel, our flywheel methodology being that we want to delight our customers and turn them into advocates. And our customer marketing team is a team that I partner very closely with. And they're the ones that basically built that program, that champions program. And uh, we've been working really closely with them. And we have big visions for all the ways that we can just really celebrate our customers and reward them in the ways that they want to be rewarded. 
And that was one of the programs that they are owning and launched this year. So I'm really glad to hear that uh, it had an impact. It is. It's doing well. And I want to call up this concept of flywheel because this is something that I think some people understand, but maybe not everybody understands. And it was particularly well done with your CEO last year. And what was interesting is I had just interviewed Brian Eisenberg on the show, and he was talking about the Amazon effect as a flywheel. And here we see HubSpot adopting the same kind of flywheel idea. Can you talk for a minute about what is the flywheel? Absolutely. So like traditionally, companies often thought about getting their customers in the funnel methodology, which is where you know it had to attract and convert customers down into your funnel. And then once they became customers, they sort of just stayed there at the bottom of their funnel. And the flywheel methodology is kind of shifting that thinking on its head and saying, actually, the way we do business is not a funnel, but we know how important customers are. We know that they're much more likely to buy from us than new products prospects. And we know that they're much more likely to buy from us if they're happy and engaged customers. So actually, we need to spend as much or more energy on our existing customers, making sure that they're happy, delighted, and using our product successfully, getting value out of it, as much or more energy on that as we do getting new customers. So that's the way that HubSpot has kind of shifted its thinking. And not only do we do that for our own business, but that is the whole way that all of our tools and our platform are designed to help our customers do that as well. Yeah. Yep, that makes sense. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about voice of customer because I oftentimes see in the data and analytics space, there's a lot of, if there's a sense of if I pull all the data together, if I get a customer 360 view, suddenly bells will ring, angels will sing, and all of a sudden I'll understand my customer base, what they want, and what I should be providing. And usually the piece that's missing in that is the qualitative side in addition to the quantitative side. So tell me a little bit about why voice of customer matters and why people should care more about it more than just, oh, it's nice to know what people say. Oh, absolutely. I mean, this is like one of the biggest, most important questions I think businesses are facing today is how do you collect customer feedback and what are you doing with that data? How are you taking action on it? And how do you know how to prioritize it in the way that which things are the right things to take action on? So I think that is just such a critical question. And it really was the driving force in the creation of HubSpot's VOC team. So one problem that we had at our company, I'll just share a little bit about this, was that our product teams were getting what we now refer to as a fire hose of data. They were getting different reports analytics, ad hoc customer feedback from so many different parts of the business. And in fact, they were getting it from a lot of parts of the business, but not actually the core customer success team who were on the phone with our customers every day. Isn't that crazy? I know exactly what you mean. Yes. And I know that other companies are facing that. I just listened to a webinar from Gainsight and a market research firm that they had partnered with and they had interviewed and they're calling it like the great divide between customer success and product. So I know lots of companies are kind of facing this challenge, but HubSpot, we were passing all the information to product, but we were doing it in such an ad hoc way that it just wasn't digestible for the teams that were making the critical decisions about where to invest and what to build and what to fix within our product. So one of the kind of key principles behind our team was that we needed to synthesize that data and help those product teams prioritize it. One of the first things we had to do was go evaluate where is all of our customer feedback coming from and what's being done with it. And at HubSpot, that was a huge undertaking, but once we had a 
accomplish that, we were really able to kind of distill it down and determine what was missing and what was there that was really great but wasn't being utilized. And we actually created something called a roadblock program where if any of our customer success reps are on the phone with a customer and a customer is raising a flag to them, like, hey, I can't do this in your product or hey, this is really frustrating, but that's actually logged in the system and it's passed. It's then kind of sent to the voice of customer team where we analyze that and we look at all these roadblocks and we pass that information then to product in a really nice digestible way. And it's a report where they can understand, they can see it broken down by the different products that we have and the different features we use. And we actually are now coding that data in the same way that we code NPS data and as we code our support data. So for the first time, we're actually kind of telling a story behind the information and giving it to the teams in a digestible way. So that kind of brings in what you were talking about is like the qualitative and the quantitative. And then the second... Before you go on to the second piece, I want to just circle back to one thing that you mentioned is you've got a lot of data coming in and you wanted to understand what the teams were doing with it. How much data are we talking about? How many different streams are we talking about? Oh my gosh. I actually put this together for my inbound presentation. So I actually do know this, which I'm going to be talking about this exact topic at our conference coming up in September. So I'll just tell you here. Let's see. We had over 40 feedback channels categorized using 32. 40. Yeah. With 30, 30 metrics and like 20 different types of software and owned by a lot of individuals across a lot of teams. And I say it was breaking one big heart in particular, which was mine. And when I say feedback channels, I mean, these are ways that we're collecting anything that the customer is either saying to us or is like a secondary kind of usage metric as well. So we had kind of primary and secondary sources of feedback. So this is very much like a holistic view on all the ways we were collecting customer feedback, both, as I said, directly and then and kind of indirectly. But yeah, that was a lot to digest. <laughs> so oftentimes, if we have that situation in data streams, we have to set, literally, it's called a master and a slave. You, know, you have to say, what's the source of record? Is that also what you had to do with the feedback channels? Did you have to group them in such a way to say, this one's the master, this one is the supporter to that master? So we haven't broken it down exactly like that, but we certainly had to prioritize. So we said, like, let's take like the top three where the most data is coming from and where the product teams are taking the most action off of. And then, of course, we identified the gap, which was where we created customer roadblocks. So we created one new channel and then we looked at the other top channels. And so then we said, okay, how do these work together? So at HubSpot, that's NPS, which is incredibly important to us. It's the data that comes through the support team. It's roadblock, which we created on the voice of the customer team. And then we have another one that's called system usability score as well that the product team uses. So we kind of look at what some of those top channels were in order to then determine, okay, now we know these are like the primary sources of customer feedback. And we know that the product team digests these sources, but how can we give this information to them in a way that they understand the why and the what from each channel and how the channels work together and what to prioritize and not prioritize? Because the other challenge would be, okay, I have this NTS data and I have this Roblox data. I'm a product manager. Like, How do I make the decision on which thing to prioritize? Yeah, that's great. Okay. I'll circle back to some other things there in a minute, but I want to give you a chance to go back to the part that I was interrupting on the second piece. Oh, it's fine. It's a perfect 
segue because the whole second part of our job <laughs> was determining prioritization. So once we identified the best channels where the most information was coming from and how these channels could coexist and each serve a purpose, the next big question was, okay, great, we're getting great information now, but how as a business do we prioritize? So one of the things that the voice of customer team is responsible for is outlining the sharp edges within our company. And so sharp edges would be defined as big points of customer pain. And these are within the customer journey. And these are often very cross-functional in nature because if one team owns them, they would probably know about them and haven't taken action on it to try to fix it. So I think the problem is with some of these sharp edges that they come up where no one team is directly responsible. There might be four or five different teams that actually touch that part of the experience, but there's customer pain generating and there's no one feedback channel telling them this and they're not getting perfect information to go take action. Off of. So what we can do with voice of customer is be responsible for the holistic picture of our overall customer experience, look at the data from multiple feedback channels that have to be looked at individually, and then make recommendations back to the business on what the actual priorities should be based off of that holistic view and based off of multiple channels. So we identified like three sharp edges that we then bring to the executive team. We get buy-in on those and we say, hey, these are really big customer pain points like that we need to solve and we need everyone at this table's buy-in in order to do that because it's not going to be just one team that can go and fix it. So what would be an example of some of the sharp edges that you might have found? So one of the sharp edges was the customer feedback itself. So that was the fact that we had too many channels coming from too many different places and not going into a synthesized system. So that was like one of what we identified as the sharp edges. Now, moving forward next year, I don't think that that will will be like an actual sharp edge. That will be something that we kind of just own as a VOC team is like the overall feedback channel. That will be more part of our day-to-day and won't be actually one of the sharp edges. More maintenance. Exactly. More just like our day-to-day job description. Like, hey, we are responsible for getting as much quality, actionable customer feedback into the hands of HubSpotters who can then take action off of that data. Another example was product changiness. So what's the rate of change of our product that actually causes pain with our customers versus net positive in terms of all these great new features that we're delivering. So something that we looked at with the product teams was, okay, how can we go fast enough to deliver great new features, but make sure that we're going slow enough that we are communicating these features with all the right education and everything that needs to go with them as well. So that was a huge focus for all of the teams in 2019, particularly because we had an outage back in the first quarter. So that really forced everyone to take a step back and say, okay, the most important thing here is that we have quality, reliable product that is available to our customers. And then we have to meet certain thresholds of this before we can start moving on and building great new features. Did you call that actual product changiness? Is that what I heard? Yes, that is how we refer to it. Because some of it is, it's not just rolling out net new features. Some of it's like fixing features we have, or maybe it was like a UI or a UX 
change. So it's like a mix of like design changes, new features, sunsetting old features, and maybe just like moving where things are located. So you kind of have all of those things happening at all the time um, with a company like HubSpot. So we have to make sure that we're doing it in the most customer-friendly way. And so the ratios is designed to say, what volume of changes did we have and how are those changes being used? Is it measuring behavior or adoption of the changes? Is that what it's after? Yeah, they have multiple things that they look at, but definitely like usage of new products. They have like stability metrics. And as you said as well, they would look at maybe like the rate of change. They would do user testing as well to make sure that they're releasing the changes in the right way. And we actually have a new like product communications team. Their sole responsibility is to make sure that any new features that we roll out that um, there's proper education and communication behind them. So we're always growing and we're moving very quickly, but we want to make sure that with all the great new things we're launching that the stability is there behind it and the communication. And so one of the things as we've been talking that's been percolating in the back of my head has to do with the Kano curve. Sometimes software development follows this interesting curve and it's Kano, K-N-O, I think is how it's spelled, Kano curve. And pulling this from academic memory from several years ago, but it's basically three lines. And the one line is features you have to do to maintain the product to keep it functional. And these features, as you add them, don't really add any delight to your customers because it's just functionality. The second curve are incremental functional features that customers want and are things that they might be asking for. So there's sort of what you're talking about is, have you listened to them? Are you solving the pain points and the things that they're asking for? But the third curve, which is actually a bit more exponential, has to do with the surprise and delight factor. Things I didn't know to ask for, but oh my gosh, all of a sudden that just solves a need I couldn't articulate instead of, let's just call it not the faster horse, but the car, for example. Does the voice of customer feedback that you're pulling in think about feedback in a similar way where you're looking for the difference between what are people saying and what do they actually need? Yeah, absolutely. So in product development, I think there's like a lot of philosophies around building feature requests that customers might request versus like solving for the actual customer need. And that's something that we've been working with the product teams on is to try to get them the right information to make sure that they're solving the root customer need versus just adding functionality or like something that a customer requested that actually could have been solved in a different way that would actually be even more delightful for those customers and give them even more functionality than what they originally had thought. So when we are collecting feedback, the NPS is is verbatim. So that's great. Customers can put whatever they want into the NPS. And with Roadblock, customers frustrated about something, they can communicate that to our customer success rep. And something that's really important is that our customer success reps really ask the right consultative type questions around what were you originally trying to accomplish? Like, what is the underlying intent here? What's your goal that you're trying to achieve? And make sure that they're capturing that information in what we send back to products. We have an ideas forum where customers can submit ideas and there's some really great stuff in there and that definitely gives us one type of data, but it doesn't... I can say I've personally done that. (laughs) It's great. It's a great way for 
for our customers to interact with us. And we're really looking at kind of making that even more interactive next year. But that only gives us one type of data, which is that really like feature level, the surface level data, whereas we really need to understand the customer pain too. So two ways then the product team could get that would be one to do, okay, hey, we've had a lot of customers requesting this one particular feature. Let's do an in-depth user research study into what it is that they're trying to do and what they want that feature to accomplish. So that's one way, particularly if maybe something had a lot of votes on ideas.hubspot.com. And then the other way is what I had previously described, which is they're frustrated maybe with the product that it does do something or it doesn't do something the way they wanted. And then they can explain that pain and the customer success team can get to the root of it and then share that information through our roadblocks program. So when you're trying to get customer success reps to mine for information about what they're trying to accomplish, what the customer's goal is that they're trying to achieve, does that mean that the voice of customer information you're collecting needs to be almost like the recording of the call or the transcript? Are you going to that level of depth to try to hear and analyze or are the reps summarizing it in a certain way? I mean, it's so interesting that you ask that because right now we're using, and this isn't something I would have like known that much about until I got really deep into this role. And right now we're asking the customer success rep to categorize where in the product or in the overall experience, the customer is maybe it's a billing or like a legal issue. You know, where is the pain? And then to describe the issue. But we were partnering with folks on our machine learning team who were actually saying to us, because what we wanted to do was to pull all this feedback together and categorize it in ways like usability and stability and functionality, business problems. We want to be able to categorize that feedback and do it not having to do that manually. So we're working with our machine learning team and they were saying that actually models can pull more information out from a completely free text response, providing that the customer success rep asks those deep questions and puts as much information as possible into it. And that with every drop down field that we ask the customer success rep to select that that then biases their free text response. So that was a really cool learning that I had just from working with the incredibly smart folks on our machine learning and product teams. And the reason we were talking to them in the first place was so that we could get smarter and faster about the way that we push the customer feedback back to the rest of the organization. Yeah, I just I really want to underscore that because I've seen this in call centers before where the call center rep will automatically pick the first and easiest subject to categorize something on and people are in a hurry and they're trying to just get that that task done. But what you're talking about with machine learning is what it is inevitably really good at doing, which is categorizing. And the free text response, I think, is something you can't underestimate. Getting the context of that, the full context versus the like a game of telephone where you're asking the rep to categorize for you. But everyone has a slightly different way of thinking about it. But I think that's a great advantage for you. And I was just having a conversation with Jill Ward, who's on our board, and she was saying too that you always just even though data is getting so incredible and all the things that we can do with it you can never substitute the experience of actually being in person with customers learning from them whether it's in town halls or follow them home field trips whatever it is that you always have to supplement the data even that really the rich rich text open response type data you still have to supplement that with talking to your customers and meeting them in person and spending time with them to truly understand what it is that can delight them and to make them kind of happy. So that's the other piece that I want to score. Like we're talking about all this data, which is so important. And 
again, so crucial that you have right as a company, but then you really just also have to supplement it with spending time talking to customers. Yeah, I can't emphasize that enough because it is, it's something that I see the leaders doing. A while ago, we had a speaker from the San Francisco Giants and he was talking about, this was at our customer centricity conference years ago, and he was talking about how they always open up the executive meetings with a comment from their customers, from their fans. And they always pick a positive and a negative comment, which becomes food for thought for how they're going to go about solving for these different problems. Now, I mean, I'm sure they're getting a lot of different streams and the way they pick those comments, I'm, I'm not sure how they find one that is particularly powerful. But the question I wanted to ask you is, are you also finding that these voice of customer experiences, whether it's talking to the customer directly or whether it's reading the quotes verbatim, are they penetrating the organization and helping the organization start to take action on data? I believe 100% in that another function of our role is to what we call putting the customer at the heart of everything at HubSpot. So one of that would be part of the mission statement of our team. And so one of the things that we do is we've actually started to open up the executive level staff meetings with customer interviews, sometimes in person, sometimes over Zoom. So going that step further instead of just a quote, we're actually bringing the customer in there. So depending on maybe what the specific topic or the theme of the meeting is, we'll bring customers in that have a lot to say about it. And we have someone from our user research team do the interviewing and she's really incredible because she really gets to the heart of things. But we don't like pre-coach these customers to like tell the executives what we want them to hear. We're really open with having them just share what's on their mind around a particular topic. And that has been so crucial for what I would call like setting the stage of the minds and hearts of the executive team so that then when you go and discuss and debate the priorities and the tactics that you want to implement, they're doing it from the customer's perspective because you've just put the customer there. So that's one way in which we're literally putting customers at the executive level staff meetings. But that's great. That's a fantastic suggestion. In fact, I haven't heard of anyone else that's doing that with a live customer interview. Kudos. That's a great move. Yeah, it's really been been very successful so far this year. And it's something we definitely are going to continue doing. So yeah, that would be a recommendation would be open up those staff meetings and get customers actually in there to talk and don't coach them and try to make it be about like what you want it to be about. Let them talk. And then another thing we're doing is that anytime myself or someone from my team are having conversations with customers, or if we have customer interviews, like we always are pushing that out on our internal wiki. So we're sharing information as much as possible. And I know our user experience teams that live on the product team do that as well. So we have that internal knowledge sharing system, which we use the wiki, the Confluence wiki. That's a great way as well. So like if somebody goes and does a customer visit that they can just like write everything up from that visit and then tag all the relevant people in it and it starts discussion and debate. So I do really think it's important to not waste like a single moment of time that you've spent with customer by just keeping that information to yourself or giving it to a couple people. Like the more we can expose it to the entire organization, the better because more people have eyes on it. And I think just diversity and perspective is so crucial. Like I say, okay, my job is voice of the customer, but really it's all of our jobs. And so that's another kind of goal of our team is to just get everyone in the company thinking with that customer first mindset and to always be thinking like, okay, how can I take customer feedback and customer data and then make my decision? And so the kind of internal 
professional advocacy. And, you know, that's a huge part of what we do as well. So there's one thing you've been talking about that we haven't really pressed on. That's a really key concept for customer centric thinking. And that is the idea that all customers are not created equal. In many cases, as we've been talking, we're using the word customer in almost a generic term, you know, putting the customer at the heart of everything, valuing the customer, talking to the customer. But what I think that does is it creates a system where you're just awash with opportunities. And so the question is, how do you use data to sort out where the signal is and where the noise is in all of that customer feedback? Yeah, this is something I've been thinking about, which is that, okay, once you get all of this great data in one place, or you can at least hand a nice report or some really nice information over to the different teams that are going to be making decisions off of it, I think something that's really important to caveat there is that like data is not the decision itself. And you do run a risk of becoming overly reliant on data to a point where you want to answer all your questions in data before you can make a decision. So I think that's something that our team is going to be partnering with other folks within the organization on is like, hey, we can give you information on this customer segment that's feeling this pain. And we can give you information over here that we're hearing from this type of user. And we can give you maybe some estimated financial impacts that go along with them. But sometimes you're going to have to make the choice over how you're going to solve. Is it for a few customers, but it's a really mission critical pain point for them? Or are we going to solve for more customers, but it's only a mildly irritating pain? So like the general managers of our products and the the folks on those product teams are going to have to make those decisions. And of course, they'll do it in conjunction with their stakeholders. But I think that's something where voice of customer is so important. We want to be able to get that voice in that mindset there. And we certainly want to be able to provide accurate customer data to people as they're making those decisions. But at the end of the day, the data isn't the decision. We still have to be able to make some hard calls sometimes. And there's going to be trade-offs in any business. I don't know if that answers your question. It does. And I think it's really interesting because oftentimes when we use customer lifetime value, we're thinking about how to make a decision or how to group customers according to the financial impact. And while I think that matters, and that is one way to find the signal, what you've called out, I think is a really interesting point about do you solve for more customers in a minor pain versus small number of customers in a major pain, assuming that that pain translates to financial impact in basically the same way. That is an area where I think people don't realize once they start pulling the voice of customer data together, that they'll have to make certain calls, certain decisions about what matters. And that's where the strategy of the executive team becomes important. Mm, Absolutely. And so this seems to be an area that if we think about the customer centric maturity curve, it sounds like HubSpot is in the center of the curve, but very rapidly pushing towards innovation, which is one of the leadership areas. And would it be fair to say that once you get your voice of customer data in and understood and you're using it, that it becomes a ripe source of what kind of innovation you want to do? Yes, absolutely. When I think of HubSpot on that curve, a hundred percent, we are like me and voice customer. I want to do everything, <laughs> but of course, everything takes time, right? And so I think what we've absolutely looked at right now is a lot of what do we know? What do you know today? And you analyze your sources of feedback, you distill it down, you prioritize, you make tough decisions, and you make some customer to first decisions, and that's amazing. And I think we've done a really good job of that this year. But I think then there is this whole other world 
of what don't we know, <laughs> you know, and what's out there in terms of like innovation and customer, and going back to the customer need discussion we were having earlier, customer pain, where are the customer pains that no matter what your feedback channels are telling you, it's not going to give you the information about how to innovate for them. But let's say you started to do field trips to customers, you started to do town halls with customers where they started to share more of like the anecdotal ways that they use your software. And then what if the, the folks at our company start to get ideas around how to help solve these customer pain points, like maybe outside of our product, the way it exists today, you know, outside of what's in our 2020 roadmap. And they start to get really creative and innovative because they're really listening to the customer in their own environment and in the ways that they're using, that they're actually trying to solve their business problems. So I think that that is absolutely like the next wave or phase of how you can bring voice of customer to your company is not just reactive, but proactive. And I think that HubSpot has, we've outlined how we'd like to do that in Darmesh's customer code. Have you seen that? I have. I saw it last year after the conference. I think that's when they pushed it out. At, at Inbound? Yeah. So HubSpot has created these like 10 tenants or principles of what, what we're saying every company should do in order to like truly be a customer centric company. And so those would be like our guiding principles of what we would like to get to. So we're not there on every single one, but what we're doing is holding ourselves accountable to that. So, okay, great. We've analyzed this customer data. We've taken action, reactive action, but what about proactive action? Nobody's banging down our door telling us X, Y, Z, that they want this, but we know from customer research to truly be customer centric that if we take this step, then that's the right thing for our customers. And that might be a very expensive thing to do, or maybe it's a very risky thing from a company perspective, but that would be the job of voice of customers to say, hey, we think that if we really push ourselves towards, I don't know, this tenant, that is the right thing for our customers. And it's actually going to yield so much more benefit long-term. Here's how we think it's going to do that. And like, let's all take this jump together. So I think it's really important to have aspirational like guiding principles as well. I think what I love that you did there and it just kind of went by in a flash was you pinned it to the financial data, but just briefly in the idea that, okay, we've listened to our customers. We're thinking about what we should do proactively, but we're not just willy nilly trying to just throw stuff out there. We're really trying to think about which customer groups are in need of different things and how that affects the bottom line. So even though you may not be calculating or matching CLV to different product innovations directly, it sounds like you're still looking for that financial component to help sort out the signal and the noise. Absolutely. I mean, every business decision, whether it's a customer-centric business decision or not, you're going to weigh the pros and the cons, and you're going to take a look at it from a financial investment risk-reward perspective. And so I think the challenge with some customer-friendly or customer-centric decisions are that they tend to be the ones that have more initial upfront costs, but longer-term benefits. So the more that we can paint that picture and give as much as possible of estimated financial impacts of the longer term benefit, the more likely we are going to get the go ahead <laughs> from the company on those. So I think it's a balance and everyone at HubSpot, we all want to be making the customer first decisions all the time. But of course, you have to balance that with keeping the business afloat. So a lot of public companies wrestle with that issue because Wall Street's constantly pushing for certain metrics every quarter. And it becomes very difficult for them to say, hold your horses, Wall Street, we're going to go this direction because we feel like 
like it's best for the company. Amazon, of course, being a great example of a company that has been able to do that. Have you found that there's a certain nuance to adding long-term thinking to the company versus the short-term thinking? I think when you are public, there's definitely more of a lens on every kind of move that you make, and it can potentially hinder a company's ability to make those type of big investments. But I do believe that if you can justify them, if you can tell the story behind it in a way that makes sense and that people understand that, yes, growth is incredibly important, but so is longevity, and that comes from customer retention. And so I don't think that the street is blind to that, and I think it just has to be explained in a way that makes sense to your own and your own shareholders. And the voice of customer really supports that. Absolutely. We would anything that where HubSpot would be wanting to make a decision like that, I'm sure would be supported with customer data to say this is the direction that our customers want to go and that we believe that this is the right thing long term. Yeah, very much so. So you mentioned you have the inbound conference coming up. I want to circle back to that and talk a little bit about and I don't know if it's in your presentation or not, but when people think about listening to your story and understanding what they could do to bring voice of customer in, is there a series of steps or a way that they should think about bringing voice of customer in, perhaps things they could learn from you about what to do or what not to do? Sure. And I'm very open to learning from others as well. So I would absolutely caveat this with like, hey, this is HubSpot's journey. And we're really happy to share with like how we've created a VOC program. And a lot of it has also been from looking at how other companies structure theirs. And so I'm really a big fan of knowledge sharing around this subject. But just to share um, a little bit how we would recommend to create the program is I think the first thing, and I have kind of lumped steps one and two together, is that you have to assess the customer centricity of your company culture. And I think it's like, you have to do that deep dive to say it's more than just, oh yeah, of course we're customer first. And look at how are your compensation models? Are they tied to only net new sales? Or is there any tied to retention? And customer retention? How are you motivating people inside of your company to actually solve for the customer instead of just solve for the next dollar coming in the door? So you have to really assess the customer centricity of your culture. And if it's not where it needs to be, then step two is to create that movement. And I do believe that that does need to come from the top down. People need to believe that their leaders are setting up a mission that they can believe in and that everyone can buy into. And people really need to get on board because from a behavioral perspective, people aren't going to change just because you tell them to, you would want to get to that underlying motivation behind why they do their work. And so it's really important that you actually create that culture change within the company. Then the next step would be to evaluate all the places that you're collecting customer feedback today. So like start with that. Where are you collecting it? And sometimes it's an unexpected thing. So you think, oh, we have this channel, this channel, this channel. But who is talking to your customers? When are they talking to them? And like, where are they recording that data? All of that has to be included, which is why I think it earlier when I shared how many channels we have, it sounded quite severe, but it was just all these different places that our customers were sharing information with us. And then you have to take the next step, which is step four, and determine and prioritize insights from that data. So now that you've collected all the information, you've got it at least into one place, then how do you synthesize it and prioritize those insights? So then once you have that, I think it's for us and like a company as big as HubSpot, it was really important to take step five, which was establish some quick wins for any big initiatives that we were outlining. So some of the stuff that we established was like felt 
so meaty that it could take a long time to implement. And I think you can lose momentum if you get some quick wins along the way. So I think it's really important to identify the low-hanging fruit for your customers. What are one to two things that you can knock out today that are going to improve your customer's experience with your company? Are there specific examples that you found like this particular area is really a great place where we can get a quick hit? Yeah. So for example, like one, we had done some repackaging in, like, like for us, like this is very specific to HubSpot, but we had done some repackaging and one of the new packages you had required like a subscription seat to do, uh, have certain functionality and workflows. And we heard back from customers that that was really frustrating for them. And we were able to like transfer that information to product and they looked at it and were able to make a change to the way that we had packaged that. So that's like very HubSpot specific, but I think it's just a matter of taking a look at your data and saying like, okay, this one is small, but it's a, have you ever heard the phrase like death by a thousand paper cuts? If you, if you cause your customer too many paper cuts, like they're going to leave, even if there wasn't one big thing that you did. So I think identifying something really small is fine too. You just have to say, okay, like we're going to knock out a couple of these. And then another like another quick one was also to start to get the customer in the boardroom, get the customer into places that we could be hearing them as well. So that could be a step that people could take. I am so pleased to hear you mention that as a quick win. Yeah, that doesn't take a lot of time and planning. Like you can figure out what are the next topics you're covering at your executive level meeting and identify a customer that has something to say about those topics and bring them in for the first 15 minutes. We actually do like a full half hour interview with them and then we leave another half an hour purely for discussion where they can ask the customer any questions that they want. And then we only take the second half of the meeting to get into like the agenda topics related to it. So we really actually place as much importance on the customer conversation as we do on the agenda. Wow. That's a significant investment in time. It's not just a 10 minutes of what do you think? It sounds like a fairly robust interview. Great. Great. It is. It is. Okay, so then we have to prioritize and take action on the top three priorities. So step six would be like, okay, make some hard decisions. Some people call that like a draw the line exercise. I'm sure from that customer data, there are 20 amazingly important things that you could do, but you have to make prioritizing things is the most challenging thing in business, but it's the only thing that's going to keep you actually taking action and moving forward versus trying to do them all at the same time. So figure out what those top three are. We call them sharp edges, call them boulders, call them whatever you want and make sure that those are the things that you are going to solve for your customers this year. And then step seven and eight really go right along with that, which is make sure you establish KPIs for those top three initiatives. Like what are the metrics that are in place or need to be put in place to determine whether or not you succeeded in clearing the boulders or clearing the sharp edges? And if possible, change and necessary, change compensation to match those KPIs. So make sure people are actually motivated to try to fix the things that you've outlined. That part about the incentive and the incentive alignment that is one of those places that I don't think people necessarily get right out of the gate. Do you find that sometimes you think you've changed the incentive correctly and then you have to go back and go, oh, that created this other issue, so we need to change it again? Oh, yeah. I mean, sure, that happens all the time. Like, you don't have to get things perfect every time, but the important thing is that you're going to, I mean, you have to be careful when you're changing compensation in terms of, like, you don't just, like, do that on a whim, but you can, like, we update our models every year to make sure that we're having all the right inputs and outputs. So, 
it's really important that you're doing that on a regular basis. A great example of that actually is at Barclays Bank. They got in some serious trouble where they had to pay out millions and millions in compensation for selling bad credit card insurance. So they had to do a complete overhaul in terms of how they were going to do a culture change at their company. And so they changed to a value-based incentives model instead of a performance-based incentives model, where they actually, when deals come in, they look at, and this is in like one division of the company, they looked at the projected longevity of the deal. And did it have the right, like, did it have a high deal score in terms of, did it have all of the factors of quality exactly that would need to be present for longevity or for lifetime value? And they actually gave deal scores and they did the bonus structure built around that versus an initial sales price. And I believe they also have like a deal desk where their own sales team does quality control of that. So it's not like another team coming in to police them, but there's a full model there that where they actually look after the quality of their own deals within the sales org, which I think is pretty awesome. Yeah, that is awesome. And that's a great point on all KPIs. And I sometimes call it measuring the distance between furniture. You can measure something like I can tell the difference distance between furniture, but that doesn't tell me what kind of interior design I need for my house. So what you measure in terms of quality, I think is almost more important than the fact that you just have a measure. Absolutely. And figuring out how to measure that quality, I think is the hard thing for companies. You have to figure out what are all those factors that make customers stay? Like, why do they stay with you? And then is it possible to operationalize that back on the front end when you're doing the initial sale? So it's something to look at. So then step nine would be just a communication and evangelizing. So we talked earlier in the podcast about a role of the VOC team being to evangelize the customer within the org. So communicating progress on, you know, maybe the status of the Sharp Edge project, communicating any feedback from customers besides even through the channels, like I talked about sharing on the wiki, and closing the loop both with your own internal folks and then the customers themselves on their feedback is just so incredibly important. When you share feedback from customers internally, do you put the segment that they're part of as well? Oh, yeah. So we would share like a customer profile in terms of like what product they would have or type of user that they are, like marketing versus sales versus service hub, because I think that that helps give context to the feedback. Exactly. Is there a step 10 too? Yeah, for step 10, I just said like create the cadence for getting customer feedback to all areas of the business. So like, I know they're kind of similar where it's like a step 10, like great, you're communicating your progress, you're getting back to customers. But I think step 10 is just like, I think you have that on your curve, right? And I think, I don't know if you call it like operationalizing it. How do you have this built into the day to day? So for example, like we're in a year into VOC and it's been amazing. We have like a lot of great wins that we can share in terms of things we've done for our customers. But how do we make sure this isn't just a one and done type of project, that this is actually operationalized and built into the day-to-day work stream of all the employees? So I think that piece is important. That is really hard. And I think it gets back to change. The fact that when you're making change, it's a series of small hits over and over and over again until the new normal is established. And I oftentimes think of that in terms of years. You know, people get these programs, they want to have them set up, they want to have performance. And how many years did it take you to kind of move in this direction? Well, 
I think we're, as I said, we've only created, we have, we've had been looking at NPS and we've had always said solve for the customer and HubSpot's a company that has always cared about our customers. So we didn't have to necessarily do that turn on its head culture shift like Barclays did. And we have a really incredible product insight team and UX team, but we're a year into the official, you know, voice of the, not even a year into the voice of the customer program. And we have made incredible progress. I think, as I said, I'd love to be doing everything now because this is I live this day in and day out and breathe this, but it takes time to get these things implemented. But we were able to do all of this within three quarters. So we're a pretty big company. So I think it's definitely possible to get started and to accomplish at least half, if not more of these tasks within your first year at this. And it's okay. It's okay that it takes time. Like if you're making customer first decisions, that's the most important thing. So every step you're taking to move towards that, that's great. And that's going to yield that benefit for your company and create longevity in your customer base. So if you starting somewhere is better than starting nowhere and smaller steps are better than not taking any at all. Mm -hmm. Well said, well said. Well, this has been a great 10 step process. Is there an 11th step? (laughs) No, the 11th step is to have fun, get get customer first, maybe come see me at Inbound. I'm going to be talking about voice of customer at our Inbound conference the first week in September. And yeah, that's that's wrong. So what are the dates for Inbound? And then if people want to reach you, what's the best way for them to get in touch? Yeah, so Inbound is September 3rd to the 6th in Boston. And that's our annual conference. It's a huge deal. We've got some amazing speakers this year. And as I mentioned, I'll be talking on voice of customer and all things voice of customer. And um, yeah, I'm happy enough to give my email um, if anyone wants to reach out to kind of discuss this topic. And that's just awhite at hubspot.com. And my last name is it's spelled W-H-Y-T-E. My husband's Irish. So <laughs> that's where that comes from. And the other thing I should say, too, is that even though I'm American, I live in Ireland. I'm based in our Dublin office. And Voice of Customer is our first purely um, international team. So it can be done. And it's really important to always be thinking about your global customers as you're thinking customer first, not just your North American ones. So that's a one last little uh, portion of <laughs> that I'll throw out there. Well, it sounds like you've made great progress, Amanda. Thank you for sharing all of the insights, especially that well-structured hit list at the end. I know the people who catch your session at Inbound are going to get a real treat because I see many companies struggle with this and not able to get it off the ground. And you've hit on many themes that are really what all the successful companies do. So way to go and congratulations on your very fast progress. Oh, thank you very much. And uh, yeah, looking forward to just having more people talking about what is customer centricity and customer equity and having companies move towards this and their models. It's something I'm really passionate about. So thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. As always, links to everything we discussed, including the inbound link. And I'll look for the presentation from Darmesh last year that we can link to as well. Those will all be at ambitiondata.com slash podcast. Thank you for joining us today, Amanda. Remember, when you use your data effectively, you can build customer equity. It is not magic. It's just a very specific journey that you can follow to get results. Thank you for joining today's show. This is your host, Allison Hartzell, and I have two gifts for you. First, I've written a guide for the customer-centric CMO, which contains some of the best ideas from this podcast, and you can receive it right now. Simply text Ambition Data, one word, to 31996. 
and after you get that white paper, you'll have the option for the second gift, which is to receive the signal. Once a month, I put together a list of three to five things I've seen that represent customer equity signal, not noise. And believe me, there's a lot of noise out there. Things I include could be smart tools I've run across, articles I've shared, cool statistics, or people and companies I think are making amazing progress as they build customer equity. I hope you enjoy the CMO guide and the signal. See you next week on the Customer Equity Accelerator.